If you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 1. This will be our text for this evening. 1 Peter chapter number 1. Thankful to have with us tonight Anthony Scherfus, who is serving as the summer intern, the summer preaching intern at the Katy Congregation with us. Anthony is planning to go to the Southwest School of Bible Studies this August, so I'm sure he'd love to tell you about that. Um, and we're looking forward to the good things that he'll do for the Lord in the future. But that's who's sitting with us on the road tonight. He's not my son. Um, I'm not that old yet. So. But uh, glad to have him with us. 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I've never had trouble with my eyesight. I've always had really good vision. That's something I've been blessed with. I've never had to wear glasses or have any type of surgery. But I know that many of you have. Some of you in the audience are wearing glasses. Some of you perhaps have had some sort of laser eye surgery. I recall my wife telling me about the surgery that she had whenever she was in high school and how before she could see the trees, she could make out the trees, and she had the laser eye surgery, and after that she could actually make out each individual leaf. And she said it opened up a whole new world for her. It's amazing as we think about vision, how it is such an important element to our life. Maybe you've put on a pair of glasses and it dramatically improved the clarity with which you could see something. Or maybe you've never had eyesight trouble, but you've used binoculars before to see something you couldn't see from a distance. Maybe you're a hunter and and you could see the shape of the deer, but you couldn't see the antlers or how large they were or how small they were until you used your binoculars. Maybe you love science and you enjoy using a microscope and you use that microscope to see something with your naked eye that you'd never be able to see with just your naked eye. If I were to tell you this evening that you could pick up a pair of glasses or a set of binoculars or a microscope to see something that Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David and Jeremiah, even angels, hadn't ever seen before or weren't able to fully see, wouldn't you be desirous of those glasses? If there was something that you could see, if you could just put on a pair of glasses to be able to see what the prophets of old wanted to see, or what the angels even desire to look into. Notice in our text here, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, I know you, I believe you looked at this section of scripture last week, as you think about the fact that the prophets searched and asked and wondered about the things that they were preaching about, and they were never fully able to comprehend everything because not everything had been fulfilled yet. Peter even goes on to say at the end of verse number 12, these things which even angels desire to look into. It's interesting to wonder and think about what it is that angels do and don't know and and how it is that they interact as part of the heavenly host and in the heavenly realm. But it seems that as as you think about what the psalmist says, that the the angels even wonder what is man, that that thou art mindful of him. You think about the, the relationship between man and God being a special one that maybe even angels don't get to possess. And so as individuals today, through the eyes of faith, looking with the eyes of faith, you and I have an opportunity to put on a pair of glasses, if you will, to see things and to be able to behold the world around us with more clarity, with a better picture. How is it that I say that as Christians we have a special pair of glasses? 
Consider this. Because as Christians, we have the potential for an even better faith than the prophets of old had. Remember Hebrews chapter number 11, the great hall of fame of faith, and you go through the fact that all of these individuals had this great faith. And it's not to say that, it's not to demean the faith that they had to say that we have a better faith. It's not anything that necessarily that, that you and I are capable of doing better because there's something different about us. But that you and I live in a different time and a different age that allows for things, particularly our faith, to be better. Particularly if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Turn with me just a few pages back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. You'll recall this great section of scripture, right? Right on the heels of the hall of fame of faith, right? Our, our thought from Hebrews chapter 11 is not over yet. He's just continuing. It's just the editors that add that, that number 12 right there, that therefore, okay? Therefore, verse number one of chapter 12, we also, all of us as Christians, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those from chapter 11, perhaps, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How are we going to do that? Verse number two, here's what we're getting to. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, some translations say perfecter, of our, or depending on the translation you're reading, just out of faith. If you're reading the New King James like I am, that hour is italicized, meaning that it was added by the, by the translators. And it seems that maybe there's something to that, that Jesus is the author and finisher of faith in general. Not just our faith, that is, though it's true, he's the finisher of our faith. But there's something more to the fact that Jesus was the finisher of faith. How is that? Compared to flawed Old Testament characters, Jesus' faith was perfect. He was the author and finisher of the concept, the action, the, the total ability to possess faith. Think about this. The faith we can possess is no different than the faith of the Old Testament. The elements of faith have not changed, right? What is faith? Steadfast trust conjoined with obedience. That's what we see time and time again through Hebrews chapter 11. Though Abraham had never seen the country to which he was to be going, he went anyway because God told him to go. He trusted and he obeyed. Though Noah had never seen a global flood and had never built an ark, he trusted God and did what he said. Though he'd never seen all these, those, all those individuals had never seen what God had commanded them to do, they did it anyway. They trusted God, they obeyed. That's, those are the elements of faith, the same elements that you and I need in order to possess faith today as well. And so as we think about that, realize that Jesus also demonstrated faith in his life. It's interesting to think about that, isn't it? We always think about the faith that we need to have in Jesus, but have you ever thought about the faith that Jesus had himself? Jesus demonstrated his faith from an early age when he went about his father's business in the temple. At his baptism, Jesus' faith was acknowledged by the Father. In the desert, Jesus' faith was tested yet prevailed. In the storm, Jesus' faith was demonstrated to his disciples. In the garden, Jesus' faith was ardently poured out in prayer to the Father. In the face of death, Jesus' faith was perspective. As he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. While hanging on the tree, his faith was lived out when he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Since Jesus' faith can be looked to, we ought to also pattern our faith after his. And as recipients of grace, okay, what are we getting to as we think about this, this summer-long series, right? What's so amazing about grace? What's so amazing about grace is that because of grace... Because of the fact that Jesus has been given to us, 
because of the fact that we have his life demonstrated for us throughout the scriptures, grace has bestowed upon us the ability to look to Jesus and pattern our faith after his. So what's so amazing about grace? The fact that you and I can look with the eyes of faith. That you and I can look with the eyes of faith. Let's examine this some more. Let's continue on back in 1 Peter chapter number 1 in our main text this evening. Our main text is verses 3 through 9. That's where we're going to be pulling our observations from for the rest of our time together. Let's, re- let's just read this section together. Peter's writing, right, to the group of Christians that's been dispersed by the diaspora, the dispersion, that is by persecution. Let's begin in verse number 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, that is, in that which he had just said in the previous three verses. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, right, looking with the eyes of faith, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, here's the verse we opened with, whom having not seen you love, and though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So again, who is this written to? Who is Peter writing to? He's writing to those that have been dispersed and persecuted. He's writing to them to encourage them, to build them up through their hardship, to help them push through, to see the bigger picture. Now, I know for, since March, I know, I know Andy, and I, I, I work with his brother, and so naturally, as you think about the applications that we make in the day and age that we're living in, a lot of our applications and our thoughts are surrounding the concept of COVID-19, right? And the the hardship that we're dealing with, and the the way that it affects our life. And so it's hard to get away from that because that's really what our mind is is really wrapped around a lot in a lot of ways. Our current circumstances are not exactly the same as the circumstances of those in 1 Peter chapter number 1, in the sense that maybe we aren't being persecuted per se in the way that they were being persecuted, even to the test of a fiery trial, which some may believe may be a reference to a, a literal fiery trial in which some were being burned at the stake. That's not where we're at today, but our circumstances nonetheless are difficult and discouraging, are they not? And so as we read these things, as we consider the concept of looking with the eyes of faith, realize this is very much applicable to you today, to me today. These things are not just considered for the first century and relegated to those Christians that were dealing with those things in that time. This is going to be helpful for us tonight, I believe, I pray. And so... Let's work backwards through this text. Sometimes I like to do this because it helps us to see the big picture sometimes. So let's begin with this. Number one, our first observation this evening is that with the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great Savior. With the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great Savior. Now, if you'll just pause for just a second. I don't even know what time I started. So I don't even know what time I'm supposed to go to. So I want to make sure I'm staying on pace. What time do we start? About 7.25. 7.25, okay. So we've been going for about 10 minutes or so. Okay, 
That's great. I just, just want to make sure I don't end up going for an hour and, and, and make you cringe that, that we had to sit here that long through, through me speaking. All right. With the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great Savior. You know, though the world is discouraged, we can't help but be encouraged because our eyes of faith see a great Savior. At times, the world may see good in the world. They may see good in the world around them, but without Jesus, things are a little bit blurry because they're just seeing bits and pieces. Not everything makes sense when you don't have the full picture of Jesus revealed to them. And so, as we think about faith, faith in essence is like a pair of glasses, as we said earlier, that we put on, that while though our vision may be able to make out some things, like the world may be able to make out some things about the world around them, until they put on the glasses of faith, the faith that we have in Jesus, we cannot fully wrap our minds around what everything is and how everything interacts and works together when it comes to good, when it comes to love, when it comes to righteousness, what's moral and what's immoral. And so as we think about this, notice with me in verses 8 and 9. Though having never seen him, we love him. With the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great Savior. Because though having never seen him, we love him. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Something hard to maybe wrap our minds around. How is it, some might ask, that you can love someone that you've never met? No, not a person here has ever met Jesus Christ face to face. Never shook his hand. Although we can't necessarily maybe shake his hand like we used to. You know, in the day and age we live in, at least some people don't want to, right? None of us here have ever stood face to face with Jesus in a physical, literal sense. And yet we believe that we love him. And we tell each other, tell others that we love him. How is that the case? Well, we might ask, can you not love a miscarried child that you never met? Can we not love a, an influential gospel preacher that's influential in your life that maybe you've read their writings or you've heard their lessons that they preach, but you've never actually met them? Or maybe you've never actually met your great-great-great-grandmother and yet you still love them because of the fact that there's a connection with them, right? You can love those people and yet they really hadn't done anything for you personally, that is directly. How much more then can we love the God who has done for us more exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. A few pages over from our text, 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. What does John say? We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen... How can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. A couple things that we notice from this passage, right? We love God, we love him, though we've never seen Jesus, and we've never stood face to face with him, we love him because he first loved us and, and gave himself for us, John chapter 3, verse 16. But also, it's a reminder for us, that if we truly believe and profess that we love Jesus and we love God, we better love our brother, we better love our sister, we better love our neighbor, we better love our family, we better love the world 
If we truly profess to love God, though having never seen him, we love him. Though having never seen him, second part of verse number eight, we trust him. We trust him. Go back in your, in your text to First Peter chapter 1, verse number 8. Whom having not seen, you love. Then the second part of the verse. Though now you do not see him, yet believing. That word, believing, is the same Greek word for the word faith that is used in Hebrews chapter 11. What's an element of faith? A very important element of faith. Trust. Have you ever thought about the fact that you are putting your trust in God to deal with you and your soul in eternity. You know, sometimes we always joke about, right, am I going to trust my life to a brand new driver that just got their driver's license, get in that car with them and ride around the car with them? And we see them, and we know them, and we've maybe even seen them drive a little bit before, and yet we don't altogether trust them. We're a little bit cautious. When it comes to God, we've never... Face to face, seeing Jesus, but with the eyes of faith, we have the blessing of seeing a great Savior that we can love and that we can trust. You know, there's a, perhaps you've seen on the internet going around, there's that thing. In the year 2000, we always told our kids, don't meet strangers on the internet and don't get in any cars with strangers. But now, in 2020, before COVID, in 2020, we hail up a stranger on the internet to get in the car with them. Uber, right? Those types of vehicle services that we drive around in. We, we get on our phone and we call up a stranger, basically, to get in the car with them. And we trust those strangers, people we don't know, to drive us around. But our eyes of faith allow us to believe and trust in the promises of God that we've never spoken to him face to face. We can look in his word and we can see what he's done for people over the ages and trust in his promises. Our eyes of faith allow us to believe and trust in his power. Though we've never seen a physically dead man raised to life like Lazarus was, I know you've seen some people that have been raised to life spiritually. and You've seen the power of God working in their life. And though we've never seen God face to face with our eyes of faith, we can believe and trust in his power. Our eyes of faith allow us to believe and trust his purposes, what he intends to do with us. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter number 26. Consider what Isaiah says in this great section of scripture. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah says, you, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. When we think about having never seen God, with the eyes of faith, we can still trust him and he can bring us perfect peace if our mind is stayed upon him. Though never having seen him, with the eyes of faith, we can rely on him. We can rely on him. We rely upon him for our salvation. Again, as we said before, we put our hands, we put our lives in the hands of a teenage driver and an Uber driver. But even more than that, 
put our lives in the hands of our God and we trust him, we rely upon him. Not only do we trust him in the sense that we, we trust him because he's proven to be reliable, but we rely upon him because we absolutely need him. We can't do it without him. And our eyes of faith help us to see that I can't do it by myself, but that I need God. Without the blessing of a great Savior and eyes of faith to see it, you and I would have no one to rely on, no one to trust in, and no one to love. Consider secondly, with the eyes of faith, Christians not only can see the blessing of a great Savior, but they can also see the blessings of great trials and difficulties. The blessings of great trials and difficulties. Remember before we had the picture of the eyeglasses and how we said Sometimes we can make things out without the eyeglasses, but until we put the glasses on, we can't see them clearly. Maybe the words on a page and actually read the words. We can see there's words there. We couldn't read them until we put our glasses on. With the eyes of faith, Christians can see the blessings of great trials and difficulties. I want to liken this into a microscope. To a microscope. Seeing things that without the aid of that particular element, we'd never be able to see. We couldn't make any sense of them without without the help of that microscope. We wouldn't be able to see the cell level of things, the cellular level of things. We wouldn't be able to see the tiny microscopic COVID-19 without a microscope. With the eyes of faith, Christians can see the blessings of great trials and difficulties. Why? What do I mean by that? You know, the world looks at trials and difficulties. I say, I can't see any use or any purpose for evil, pain, and suffering. Right? They look at the world around them and say that those things are a proof for the fact that God doesn't exist. But the Christian can look at suffering and say, you know what? Those trials that I endure, I can see the blessings in those things. Don't believe me? Turn back in our text to 1 Peter chapter number 1. Notice verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That, that word that indicates that there's a reason for those things. And there's a purpose for those things. And if there's a purpose, there has to be a purposer, God being the purposer, that the trial, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now don't misunderstand. Not every trial that we go through is God causing that difficulty or or suffering upon us, but maybe God's allowing it. Maybe God's allowing us to endure it. Why? Because what does he say? Because, number one, with the eyes of faith, we recognize, number one, that trials test the genuineness of our faith. It's like a litmus test. You remember those tests that you had to use in your chemistry class, whether you see whether something's acidic or basic, right? It was a litmus test. See whether something is dangerous or safe. Well, when it comes to our faith, trials are like a litmus test. They check the legitimacy, the genuineness of our faith. With the eyes of faith, we can see that trials not only are a testing of, our, of the genuineness of our faith, but they, they refine our faith. Notice the second part of, ch- of, chapter seven, uh, of chapter 1, verse 7. Being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found... That phrase may be found through those trials that we endure. As Isaiah 48 verse 10 says, Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. You think about goldsmiths and metallurgists. 
in early centuries in which they, and even today, in which they would put a, a, a precious metal such as gold into the fire. And not only would that fire bring to the forefront those things that, that needed to be examined about whether something was actually genuine, like, like we said in the previous consideration, whether or not gold was a genuine gold, but it also helps to bring out those things that were impurities in that gold so that you could take those things away. Similarly, when it comes to our faith, when we think about the trials that we go through, we can understand that those trials help to refine us and take those things out of our life that ought not to be there. Testing gold with fire. Testing our faith with fire. Consider also that with the eyes of faith, we can see that trials improve the value and worth of our faith. He says that they may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when the Lord comes back because of your faith, he can look at your faith and say, you know what? Your faith is worthy of being rewarded as we'll consider next. But these trials improve the value and worth because they're more valuable than gold. Post-trial faith is more influential to the non-believer because with our eyes of faith, when we embrace the trials of life, people take note and it makes them want to ask, how is it that through those trials, you still say, I still serve my God, I still trust him? How is it that in the death of your loved one, maybe the death of a child, that great trial, that affliction in your life, how is it that you can say, Christian, I still trust and love my God? Those are opportunities through those trials to communicate to non-believers, to give us opportunities to show them where faith gets us, what faith can do for us, who our God is, even in those circumstances. So trials improve the value and worth, the ability of our faith to do things. Post-trial faith is a greater testament to the power of God. With our eyes of faith, when we allow trials to shape us and mold us, in the end, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that final day, that final day, more honor will have been given him, more praise will have been offered to him, because of our faithfulness. And so trials produce a faith that is worthy of being rewarded, as we said. The end of verse number seven, that it may be found to praise, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That it may be found to honor, you have been faithful over a little, and yet I set over you much now. And glory, enter in ye to the joy of our Lord. Trials produce a faith that is worthy of being rewarded. And finally, as we Consider this section of trials, trials from the book of James. Some of the blessings of of trials from the book of James, trials develop patience. Trials build maturity, verse 4. Trials build wisdom. Trials encourage prayer. Trials remind us that life is temporary. And trials, when handled properly, result in a crown of life. In case you didn't believe from 1 Peter that trials... With our eyes of faith, we can see the things in those things. that It's like a microscope, our faith is. To be able to see those trials, see the blessings in those trials, that without that microscope, without that vision, the vision of faith, the eyes of faith, we wouldn't be able to see the purpose and the goodness in those trials. But as James says, we can see the goodness of those things. We can see the goodness of our trials because they produce patience and maturity and wisdom. They encourage prayer and they remind us that life is temporary and that those trials help to win us a crown of life. Those trials, don't you ever think, Christian, the next time 
that you're going through something difficult, that you're going through something hard, don't you ever think that those trials are good for nothing? Right? We always use the elementary example, right, that when we put our hand to a stove and we feel the heat and the burn and the pain, that we remove our hand from that trial. We understand that the pain serves a good, uh, a good reasoning for us in our life. We ought to also recognize that those trials we go through in a spiritual sense, in an emotional sense, they're also good for our faith. And it helps to reveal where our faith truly is. Consider finally as a final observation from this text here. With the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great future. With the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great future. The first section we consider the eyeglasses, right? which we can kind of make things out, the words on a page, but until we put our glasses on, we couldn't truly see the words. Then secondly, we consider that microscope, in which we could make out things that we couldn't make out with our naked eye. But then consider this. With the eyes of faith, Christians can see the blessings of a great future. It's like a pair of binoculars or a telescope of some sort, in which you have before you that, that set of binoculars in which you can see a great far distance that without them you could not see to that distance. Consider this, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, an inheritance incorruptible and defiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. With the eyes of faith, Christians see the blessing of a great future. The blessing of a great future. And because we have that ability to see the blessing of a great future, we not only see the blessing of a great future in this life, here and now, but also in the life thereafter. Consider verse 3. He says that we have been given, have been begotten again unto a living hope. A living hope. Whereas before we had been begotten again, We had no hope. We were hopeless. We were lost and purposeless. Now as Christians, we live a life now. We live a life now that is full of hope. We live a life now that is not just wishful, but one that is of confident expectation that says, I realize that I have a purpose. I realize that I have a reason for living. I realize that I'm not just walking aimlessly as a bag of molecules, as I listened to one recent, recently listened to one atheist say, that basically all we are is just a bag of molecules. That we're not just that. That yes, God made us in that sense as a bag of molecules, but we have more, we have a soul. And with the eyes of faith, we can see that we have a great future, not just in eternity, but now because we have purpose in our living right now. And our hope is living Not only do we possess hope, but our hope is continually strengthening. It's growing. Remember when you got a new toy at Christmas and after a few weeks, the newness of that toy would wear off? That's not how it is with the hope of a Christian. We don't live with that that hope one day that is, is a brand new hope, and then the next day, unless we're unfaithful, right? The eyes of faith. If we have the eyes of faith, that hope stands as Shiny and brand new as it ever had been before. And it only gets greater and more valuable over time because of our eyes of faith. But not only is there a great future in this life here and now, but with the eyes of faith, we can see a great future in the life thereafter. 
Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. With the eyes of faith, we can see that our inheritance is far better because it doesn't decay like the physical inheritances of this world. We can see with the eyes of faith that our inheritance is undefiled, that it's pure and without suspicion. It wasn't gained dishonestly, but righteously. With the eyes of faith, we can see that our inheritance is fadeless, that it's better because in perpetuity it stays as bright as we said a moment ago, the first day as it was received, as it is 70 years from now. And our inheritance, our hope, with the eyes of faith, we can see that it is reserved, it is kept. Notice verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. You and I and our salvation is kept by the power of God. We have a living hope in the great future and the life thereafter because we realize that our salvation is protected and guarded by the most great and most powerful force in all of human history, in all of the history of mankind, that is the power of God. Our living hope doesn't decay, it doesn't diminish, it doesn't fade away, because who is keeping it? God is. And his power is capable of defending and warding off any enemy that would be able to take us away from it, Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So as we consider these things, one might say, you know, you know what? I'm not so sure that my glasses are working correctly right now. I'm having problems seeing those blessings that we've spoken of this evening. Sometimes we need to check our prescription, right? When we have a set of glasses and we're used to that these glasses could help us to see, but then down the road we realize we can't see as well as we used to, and so we need to go back into the doctor and get another vision test, and we get a new prescription, and maybe there's a better strength and help us see a little bit better. Sometimes we need to check the prescription of our faith, if you will. Because we need to see whether or not our faith needs some focusing. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says that he's thankful for the sincere or unfeigned, some translations put it, or the genuine faith of Timothy that dwelt first in his mother and grandmother Lois and Eunice. And so Paul is saying, look, I appreciate the fact that your faith is genuine, that it is focused in, is dialed in right. Sometimes our faith can become a little insincere, can become a little feigned, faked, can become a little disingenuous. Consider some symptoms of faith that need focusing. Some symptoms of a faith that need focusing. A faith that will not trust is a faith that needs focusing. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 30, he says, look around at these birds of the air and the flowers of the field. The heavenly Father, your heavenly Father takes care of them, and yet you don't trust in him to take care of you? If you're not trusting that God is going to take care of you, your faith needs a little refocusing. A faith that will not produce. James chapter 2, verses 17 and verse number 20. A faith that is without works is dead. Your faith needs to be refocused a little bit if you're not actually producing anything, if you're not doing anything, but just showing up and sitting in the pew, it's a good chance. Your faith needs to be refocused a little bit. How about a faith that will not act? James chapter 2, verse number 19, even the demons believe and tremble, but they do not truly follow after God. Right? Faith without works is dead. Just like the faith that those demons had and the fact that they believe in God, but they don't actually follow after him, that's dead. 
If you're not acting upon your faith, then your faith needs a little refocusing. A faith that will not speak up. John chapter 12, verses 42 through 43. Remember this section of scripture in which nevertheless, it was said in this section, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Do you find your faith sometimes being a little shy in the sense that it will not speak up depending on who you are or are not around? Your faith might need a little refocusing. How about a faith that will not travel? Luke chapter 18, verse 10 and verses 15 through 17. Remember Peter, he had demonstrated great faith so he thought when he cut off the ear of Malchus but then just five verses later he's denying Christ three times. Faith that will not travel You may possess to have one faith here, but in another place, you don't have that faith. Faith needs a little refocusing. And finally, a faith that will not reason. God expects us to love with our minds as well as our hearts. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know, sometimes the the world looks at our faith and they say, you know what? They're just living with a blind faith. They, They don't actually have anything to believe in and trust in, but that's not the faith of the Bible. The faith of the Bible loves God with our mind that we think through those things and we actually reason through those things and so faith that will not reason if it's just stepping out a a leap of of faith in in the dark right if it's like that your faith needs to be refocused a little bit so how do we develop a faith that is genuine you develop a sincere faith not because you have inherited it you know sometimes we hope that our children just inherit our faith. Sometimes as a son or a daughter, we hope that we would inherit the faith of our parents. That's not where we get faith from. Talk more about where we get that from in just a second. It's not contracted. You can contract COVID-19, but you can't contract faith like virus. It doesn't just happen upon you. You don't just catch it from somebody else that happens to have it. It's not fortuitously received as though God just dropped it from heaven upon your head and just all of a sudden it hits you in the head one day and you have it. It's not where we get faith. Instead, genuine faith is developed. It's developed through the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If your faith's a little bit out of focus, if you're not able to see the blessings of those trials, if you're not able to remind yourself of the great blessing of of a Savior, if you're not able to see the hope of a great future, maybe it's because you haven't been spending enough time in the word of God. So faith comes by hearing. That faith, those eyes of faith, they come by hearing the word of God. If you're not ingesting it, if you're not taking it in, you're not going to be able to have the faith that can see those things. Genuine faith is also developed through the family of God. I said a moment ago that we can't contract it like a disease. But in some ways, faith actually is kind of infectious, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, when we think about the fact that we're called to, to not ne- neglect the assembling of ourselves together, or forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but to come together and exhort one another and build one another up. That's one of the things that's been so hard about this COVID stuff, right? Because we haven't had as much opportunity to come to build one another up. And so if you haven't been taken in the word of God and you haven't been coming to the worship assemblies of the Lord's people and you haven't been being with other Christians, it's a good chance your faith needs to be refocused. Good chance that your faith is not producing, it's not trusting, it's not acting, it's not speaking up. Finally, 
Genuine faith is developed through walking with God. Now, your faith isn't going to be the strongest faith on day one or as strong on day one as it will be, hopefully, on day 100. Because your faith is growing. Because you see God working in your life and you see the things that he's done and you, you, your faith continues to be built up in him just as it was for Abraham in Hebrews, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. is called the father of the faithful. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 9. First, Abraham goes where God says. And then later on, Abraham offers his son Isaac. Do you think on day one that Abraham would have been willing to offer his son Isaac to God? Maybe. I don't know. There's a good chance that Abraham was able to offer his son Isaac because he'd seen God promise that he would take care of him when he went to the land of Israel. And he'd seen that God promised that he would actually provide for him a son through his older wife, Sarah. And so when it came time around for there actually to be an offering of sacrifice of Isaac to God, Abraham could say, you know what? God's taking care of me there. God's taking care of me here. God's taking care of me every single time along the way. He'll take care of me now. And so how does our faith develop? How do we grow in our faith? How is a sincere faith focused like it should be? It continues to walk with God, continues to trust. Have you been looking at the world with worldly vision lately? Have you been looking at the world the way that the world looks at it? Or are you looking at it with corrected vision? The vision of the eyes of faith. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to have your vision corrected with the eyes of faith. I said a moment ago, until you put those glasses on, you might be able to make out some good things in the world around you, but it's not going to make total sense. Things aren't going to add up. Things are still going to be blurry. If you're not a Christian, maybe you are a Christian, you've been struggling with some, having some faith that is able to see the great blessings, the blessings of trials. Maybe that first trial that you endured was... A walk in the park compared to some of the trials you're enduring now. Remember, get your eyes in the word of God. How is it that we make our way through the difficult things of life? If we're not reading the scriptures, how do you expect to make it through those things? If you're not spending time with the people of God, how do you expect to make it through those things? Christian, you've been struggling with having a faith that is able to see those great blessings, the blessings of a great Savior, blessings of trials, the blessings of a great future, we encourage you to check your prescription to make sure that your faith is focused as it should be. Thank you all for your attention this evening. It's been great to be with you.